0: Tenokata Katoa, very warm welcome to you all this morning. It's great to have everyone here. And uh, we're just finishing up, Our we've just been doing a three part series on Meals of Jesus, just looking a little bit at the way that food was such an integral part of Jesus' ministry, um, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, last week we had the awesome Grant Ron with Angela, um, just sharing a bit about Manakitanga, how they do it, um, how um, it is a way to um, be missional in our, in our homes and in our community. And I just want to, just like Amy was saying before, um, if you're not involved with a whānau kai group, um, it's a great way to get to know people. It's also a great evangelistic tool as well because it, you, you, you just invite someone along for a meal. There's no big, heavy um, threshold or barrier people have to get through. It's just come over and eat um, we say grace, we spend time together, we talk, and that is the church in action in our homes. And as well as that, we also have our huddle groups, um, which are going really well as, uh, as well. And I'm sure there's lots of food involved in those ones. Well, there is in mine. So <laughs> that's great. And then obviously, um, we always have food at the end of, try and have food at the end of our services as well. So you'll notice that with Kurimako, this is a, a very important part of who we are as a church and we had that awesome time uh, for Matariki um, last Friday. And uh, we want to continue to do these events where we connect over food and fellowship and ministry together. So, anyway, we're doing, finishing off this um, series of Meals of Jesus. And um, I don't know about your family background, but I've noticed that people have their own traditions and rituals, uh, habits, or ways of of celebrating events, and particularly Christmas. Uh, in my household, um, my parents used to give me a, a Santa sack, and so to have all my presents in a, in a, in a, in a this pillow slip at the end of my bed on Christmas morning, and I'd wake up, you know, go for all the prezzies and, like, see all the goodies, and then go into Mum and Dad's bed and go through it all with them. Um, but when I married Amy, I realized that she had different Christmas traditions, and she didn't adhere to the Santa sack. I was upset about that. <laughs> I still want my Santa sack. <laughs> um, she would have a stocking. So all the kids would get a stocking, and that would be, um, you know, um, sort of uh, out in the lounge by the well, the hearth or whatever kind of heating device we had. And then the kids would have all the rest of their presents around the tree, and we would come out and, you know, go through the... St- oh, the kids would grab the stocking, come back to our bed in the morning and go through all the, like, little presents together through the stocking, and then and then we go and have breakfast, and then sit by the tree and, and unwrap all the presents and see what everyone's got, which is really awesome. And it, and it made me think about just how, like, and you, and you probably can think about your own family, you've probably got um, different traditions and ways and rituals that how you celebrate things like Christmas. And um, there's uh, quite a funny um, ritual um, tradition that we have in um, my family with my, and with my brother-in-laws and um, what we do is that every year our wives buy us the same t-shirt which we all wear so here's some awesome pics that's one year we had that one that one says I'm here to give presents and to eat food We were really young there, eh? That's when I was putting this together, I was like, oh, I've aged. <laughs> Just me. And uh, we've also taken this on, on trips. So this was in Rarotonga. We were wearing, the same, wearing a, a tropical shirt as well. But it made me, like I said before, it made me think about the ways that um, you develop traditions and habits. And um, I actually really, at first, thought it was really naff wearing the same shirt every year, but it's actually, I quite enjoy it, and I was a bit disappointed, I think last year we forgot to take a photo, because we all had these tie-dye shirts, is that right? Was that last Christmas? It seems like ages ago, but yeah, Um, so I really enjoy ritual now, it's become part of my Christmas story, and the reason I say that is because um, there's something going on here in Luke 22, verse 7 to 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your phone, And the, the, the context of this is, is that Jesus, this is the Last Supper, and Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's um, preparing things. So I'll just start in verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So today, I, I really want to focus around uh, communion and um, how this is um, this an, an enacted salvation is part of the story of communion. One thing, if you're, if, and especially if the kids are, uh, are watching, um, there are five instances of the word Passover there um, between these two um, passages, and that's no mistake. Luke, who wrote the, this um, gospel and he wrote this passage, um, put that in there for a reason to really highlight the timing of this event. It was the Last Supper. He was the night before He was to be um, betrayed and to go to the cross. This was a a watershed, pivotal moment. And what Luke is is trying to show here is is that there's something important that links back to Passover. If you're not familiar with the the concept of Passover, this was a Jewish celebration event where the, the... celebrated their salvation and deliverance from being slaves in Egypt. If you're familiar with the story, what happened was that God told them to prepare a meal and then he told them to uh, kill the Passover lamb and to put the blood of the lamb across the, the doorways of their house so that when the angel of the, of the, you know, of the Lord came across, room would be saved, that, that they, they would be saved come into their household, they would be saved. Of course, this was the pivotal event that turned Pharaoh's heart that meant that he would release them so that they would go across the Red Sea and towards the Promised Land. And God instructed them through Moses to to have this meal, to celebrate, to remember what this event was all about. In the book that I've been reading for the series, uh, Meal with Jesus, the guy Tim Chester says, each Passover children were to ask about its significance and the story would be retold. Through this meal, they understood the nature of their God and their own identity, and I love this. This is theology served up on a meal table. See, the, 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 the meal and why God gave them a meal was set so that they would remember, so that they would have something around which they could orientate themselves and to know the story. And even their little children could know the story of Passover because it was embodied in a meal. It's like he said, it was, this is theology served up on a, on a dining table, on a meal table. And how this links to communion and the Last Supper here is, is that when Jesus was wanting to explain to his disciples and his followers and, and to us what his death was all about, he didn't give them a theory like the Passover, he gave them a meal that would encapsulate what salvation is about. And he Um, says this Jesus's last meal with his followers was a deliberate double drama as a Passover meal of sorts it told the story of Jewish history in terms of divine deliverance from tyranny looking back to the exodus from Egypt and on to the great new exodus the return from exile they were still eagerly awaiting but Jesus's meal fused this great story together with another one the story of Jesus' own life and his coming death. It somehow involved him in the God-given drama, not as a spectator or as one participant among many, but as the central character. You see, Jesus is reconfiguring the story of the Passover so that he is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, the, the, the blood that was shed, that was broken so that they would be saved. Back then in the Passover, Jesus is saying here, you know, my body will be broken, my blood will be shed for your salvation. I am the Passover Lamb. Paul writes about this in First in, in Corinthians five, seven. He says, He says, For Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. But not only, not only is, is, is communion and what is happening here at the Last Supper about our salvation, it's also about prophecy. It's about the past, it's about the, that, that moment in history when that happened, and it's also about our future. In, in verse 14, um, Jesus says, "'I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer.'" For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then again in verse 18 says, For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 25 gave this prophetic picture of the, of the end times, when, 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 the, when the world was to end, when God was going to put things right. And this is what this is what Isaiah says he says the Lord almighty will prepare a feast of rich pe- food for all peoples all peoples of the earth a banquet of aged wine the best of meats and the finest of wines doesn't that sound good the best of meat sorry for any vegans out there the best of meats <laughs> the best cuts of steak the the the, the most, you know, those beautiful aged bottles of wine, if you're a wine drinker, you know, like this is a banquet, this is a feast, this is the picture of what it's going to be like one day when Jesus returns and renews the earth and that we are with him. And then linked to this feast, this banquet that's going on here, this beautiful picture of a banquet and a feast, linked to that is this picture of salvation because they're fused together. See there in verse 7, he says, on this mountain he will destroy... And I love this, the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever, amen? The sovereign Lord will wipe away every tear from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the hope that we have as Christians? Is not only are we, are we saved by what Jesus did on the cross, but we also have this awesome future. We also have this awesome hope that's in our hearts that we will have this feast, we'll have this banquet, we'll have this coming together of, um, of, of the peoples of the earth to celebrate together, and that all the pain and misery and suffering that we go through in this life, God's going to heal all that. He's going to take that all away. We're going to have this beautiful communion with Him, which made me think about, when I was reading that, about Revelation nineteen six to 9. This is the Apostle John when he had a vision on the island of Patmos. And he says here in verse 7, he says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. This is the Passover Lamb. This is the Lamb of God. This is Jesus and this is this picture of that banquet that the prophet Isaiah thousands of years ago was, was talking about. It's about God's bride, who's us, his people, and this beautiful marriage with Jesus, and this feast, this banquet. Who likes going to weddings? They're great, aren't they? Like, they're costly, costly affairs, and they seem to get more and more so. Oh, I see my mother-in-law nodding. Yeah, she's got three daughters. <laughs> um. You know, they are costly affairs, they require a lot of time, there's a lot of stress, sometimes there's people, there's fights and all sorts of stuff going on, but isn't that beautiful, that moment, when when you see the bride coming down the aisle, and you see the groom, and you see the bride, and you see them lock eyes with each other, and there's usually some corny music playing or something, and everyone's just like, oh, that's beautiful. Even the cynical, hardened, you know, people out there are just like, oh, that's better. There's something of God's heart you see in that moment. You see of love. You see of connection. And then, isn't it great that you have this, 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 this marriage, this, this coming together, and then you celebrate, eh? Like, isn't it great when you go to a reception, and, it, and that's where the thousands and thousands of dollars are spent, but you have a party, eh? You have the, you know, good food and good drink, and you, you, you celebrate the coming together you celebrate this awesome event this marriage and that's the picture that john has of of the end he has a picture of jesus and us coming together in a marriage and and we're celebrating it says there in verse 9 then the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to this wedding the supper of the lamb isn't that good news isn't that wonderful news that we have this, not only saved, but we have this incredible future ahead of us, this hope that we have in our hearts for that. But, and I'm sort um, sort of coming into land here this morning. I'll just get Tui to come up, if you don't mind. And Sarah. But I think there's something... With the cross that 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 sometimes we we fixate on it on on the atonement part, and it is yes, yeah. You know, we part of the what the cross is, and part of what salvation is, is that we that Jesus atoned for our sins, that we are forgiven. But the day that Jesus, you know, the the period where Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't the day of atonement in the Jewish calendar, which was Yom Kippur. It was Passover. And what is Passover all about? Passover is all about deliverance. Passover is, is that you have lived your life in slavery in Egypt and that, that Jesus, through his salvation, has taken you out of Egypt and taken you to the promised land. But it's, it's, it's interesting you know, for the the Israelites, they, they came out of Egypt, but they couldn't get Egypt out of their heart. They're in the desert there, and they're getting fed by the Lord, and all these sort of things, and they start pining for Egypt. They start pining for slavery. They start talking about the leeks and the onions. Oh, how good were those leeks back in Egypt? How good were those onions? You know, forgetting the lashings, forgetting the beatings, forgetting the slavery that they were in in Egypt, they couldn't get Egypt out of their heart. And I think as Christians sometimes, you know, we we get stuck on the atonement part, like, oh, God's forgiven my sins. But we don't fully understand that He's actually taken us from Egypt out of slavery through the cross, and, and He's sending us to the promised land. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possess- possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that good? Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from Egypt and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves. Why don't we stand, if you don't mind? In a second, I'm just going to invite you guys to come up and take uh, some of this communion partake in the table of the Lord and this food, this feast that we prepared this morning. And then I'm going to ask you to just take it back to your um, where you are, if you wouldn't mind just standing. And please just uh, wait for a moment, because I want you to hold the bread. I want you to hold the juice in your hands. And I, I think that it's important that we take this together as a church family this morning. And as you're doing that this morning, as I lead you in that I want you to, as I've talked about, just think about the power of the cross. Think about what the Passover lamb, Jesus, has done for you. Not only has he forgiven your sins, but he has taken you out of Egypt. He has taken you out of bondage to sin and death. I heard someone said it I don't know if it was Eugene Peterson in the message but it's, it's it says out of the out of the bad lands and into resurrection country, out of the bad lands out of the i don't know the desert road, whatever New Zealand equivalent is, <laughs> into resurrection country, into that place of connection with Jesus of being adopted into his family of hope of that wonderful feast of that wonderful day when we'll celebrate with Him at the marriage of the Lamb. So why don't you guys, in your own time, just come, take some of the bread and the juice, and if you don't mind, just just come back to your seats and stand, and I'd like to lead you in communion this morning. Before I just lead us in communion, I I just wanted to make this final point. There's this interesting part in Exodus 24. Um, You know, the people of Israel have been have passed over the Red Sea, they've, they've been, they're out in the desert and they go to Mount Sinai and that's uh, where the covenant happens with the Lord and there's a there's an interesting scene where where Moses sprinkles the blood of the lamb over all the people and then there's a scene where Moses and Aaron and um, 70 of the elders of Israel, they go up Mount Sinai and there's this really cool thing where it says, under his feet, this is talking about God, something like a pavement made of lapis lazul, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. There's this incredible moment of communion that's going on here, a heaven overlapping earth moment, one of these thin places where Moses and these elders are having communion with God and they're seeing that heavenly realm. They're seeing a glimpse of it. It's, it's, it's one of these places where heaven and earth collide and and overlap and there's a moment of incredible communion. But one thing that's 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 an awesome and incredible thing. But one thing that's interesting there, it's only Moses and the the 70 elders that go up there. Because of what Jesus has done for his sacrifice on the cross we know that when 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 he when he cried out his last words, that the the, the veil in the temple tore from the top to the bottom. And what did the veil represent? It represented like a separation that we couldn't go into that holy of holies, that place of connection with God. And when Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, that, that, that veil, that thick as curtain that was tall and thick, just tore from top to bottom. And what that signified that we have, open relationship with God's presence. We have open relationship with God the Father through Jesus' sacrifice. That we, like those elders and like Moses and Aaron, can can sit in that place of heaven and earth overlapping and have we can sit and eat with God and have communion